Listen, what's up, everybody? So glad you're joining us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all your support. We're dropping new episodes every month, so please stay tuned, keep listening, and keep subscribing, sharing, downloading everything that you're doing. Listen, I want you to go to the website, www.dearwhiteteacher.com. Lots of exciting information. I have a blog on there. I have my book on there that you can order, and I have my course on there of the same name, Dear White Teacher, where it's talking about understanding relationships with black and brown students, how to build and maintain them, and so much more. Get to the website now, www.dearwhiteteacher.com. Can't wait to meet you. Can't wait to talk with you. As a matter of fact, we can talk now. Join us on social media at dear underscore white underscore teacher on both Instagram and TikTok. Lots of amazing content. Meet us there. Join us there. Looking forward to it. Right, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dear White Teacher. So glad you could join us today. I have the privilege of having a uh, family on, and uh, we're going to be talking about everything uh, Purdue, even though she has on the Johnson C. Smith. First uh, <laughs> What's up, Brittany? So glad to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Good, good, good. Tell the people who you are. You, I guess you, since you have one, Johnson C. Smith, you're going to talk about Johnson C. Smith too. But um, yes. Brittany is uh, the the person uh, that has been, um, what's the word I'm looking for, responsible for bringing Dear White Teacher to Purdue University. And so I'll let her tell you about all of that. Um, so my name is Brittany Paramore. I currently, my office is going um, through a name change. Uh, due to everything that's going on with diversity in higher education. So currently, I am still a director of the Office of Diversity Initiatives in the College of Education, but probably before August 1st, I think that's when the title should go into effect, um, my office will change to um, the Office of Student Success and Global Engagement. Um, I'll still do all the same things, but the title will be different just in case the Indiana legislator decides they no longer want uh, diversity programs. I can still have a job. Um, so that's, that's pretty, Politics. Much, pretty much the only reason for the name change. Um, in my position, basically, um, my job is to provide diversity to the whole college um, from undergraduate to graduate and kind of work um, with the administration um, to come up with professional development in terms of um, equity or diversity or anything in that wheelhouse. And so their white teacher, Purdue's uh, teacher uh, percentage, 97% of them are white females. Um, so that's the incoming freshman percentage. And so, oh, with, wow. and that's every year. Um, that's pretty standard. It may go to like 95%. But it's never not ever going to be high 90%. Yeah, right. Um, and so, compared to the other programs in Indiana, Purdue lacks diversity uh, in, in every department, but in the college of education, it stands out significantly um, compared to other colleges. And so, my thing is, it ain't enough Black people in Indiana to get them here. So, mm-hmm. let's try to educate the people we have here as best of our ability. So at least that can be, you know, a, um, I guess a highlight of the program is that the students that graduate from our program are more, they are more knowledgeable when it comes to equity in the classroom. And so that's basically, you know, why you came. Um, They pretty much trust me to do whatever. (laughs) So I was, excited when I told them I was nervous when I said I want to do Dear White Teacher. I'm not going to lie to you because I thought they were going to hear the name and immediately be like absolutely not. Nope. Purdue <laughs> very, very conservative. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, this is the second department I've been in. The, the first department I was in, I did a program and I said it was exclusive to minority students. And that was like a three-week process because I had to change. I had to take out the whole statement because they said I was shutting out the other students on campus who may wanted to participate. And so as a diversity person, you now are challenged with, 
or you asked me to provide provide programming um, for this community of people. However, I still have to promote it to everybody else because we both know in marketing, the minority rarely sees the marketing. The majority is going to see the marketing. And so right. that is what happened. Uh, the first few programs that started off, you know, with black and brown students and by the last program, I only had like two or three black and brown students. The rest of the room was white. Mm-hmm. And so that made me you know, start looking at things a little different and how I wanted to start doing things. And so I'm grateful for the College of Education that kind of like uh, helped me kind of break down some of those uh, objectives. Um, they stood behind me. They supported me. And the people really seem to have enjoyed themselves and have took something about uh, the one lady talked about how when she went home, she started asking her son questions from the book and mm-hmm. they started having some different types of conversations. And so it also made me know they didn't, they're not just going to plan on taking it into the classroom, they're also implementing it in their home. And so that yeah. also affects a next generation of educate, or students in classrooms because their kids are now taking that information to their friends and so forth and so on. So it was a positive thing in the end. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was extremely uh, it was a, a, an extremely dope experience for me. Um, before we jump into um, everything that that happened um, during the week, um, you have a a broad spectrum of uh, educational experience going from uh, the high school you went to to a HBCU to end up at Purdue. So talk talk a little bit about that journey. Um, I'll even go further than that. I think I have a very unique experience because I went to an all-black private Christian school. Um, I went to Arlington Christian Academy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I was in fifth grade. So even when we started talking about um, when was the first time you had a black teacher, not many people can say kindergarten. Um, so I can't, you know, I, I had yeah. that experience. My principal was a black woman, Dr. Swoop, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, she was definitely instrumental in uh, once I started trying to figure out, okay, maybe I want to go into education. I had those figures already from yeah. when I was a child. Um, so going from Arlington, we moved to Copley when I was in fifth grade. And so they told me I was going to Copley for high school. That was the whole purpose of moving to Copley is for mm-hmm. high school. And um, there was like, well, where do you want to go to the middle school or do you want to stay at ACA and graduate? And because they had a middle school, so I would have come stay to eighth grade. And uh, I said, no, I wanted to go to the middle school because I wanted, I didn't want to be the new girl freshman year. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to be the new girl in middle school. So by the time we got to high school, I had already, yeah, I, I, was <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, I was already thinking, you know, about the future. And so um, I ended up going to Copley, and it was one of the most interesting experiences of my life um, in both middle school and high school. Um, I went from being normal, like, you know, it really wasn't race wasn't a big thing at Arlington because you know most right. of the kids was black. So right. going from that to being the only black kid in class, or it might be two or three of us in class. And I remember my teacher asking if we spoke Ebonics at home. And she was asking, like, what other wow. what other people like, you know, what do you speak at home? I had people from South Korea, North Korea in the class. It was a girl from Iran in the class. So it was just mm-hmm. They were talking about, oh, well, we speak this at home, and we speak Farsi, and we speak this, and then, well, Brittany, do you speak Ebonics at home? And I'm like, I knew it wasn't right. Wow. I just didn't know why it wasn't right, because right. right. Um, And so I knew early, probably like fourth grade, fifth grade, I wanted to go to an HBCU, and I think that's because of my dad, Pastor United. I had access to so many different resources. Mm-hmm. So even though I wasn't around Black people at school, I was surrounded by Black people at church. And so it gave me the balance that I needed to still feel mm-hmm. like I was a part of the community, even though I was out in Copley. And so I knew I wanted to go to HBCU. I originally wanted to go to North Carolina a and 
I did not get into North Carolina A&T because I did not have enough maths. And this was before they did uh, provisional entrance. And so they told me I could go, but the whole freshman year wouldn't count. That oh, would wow. just be to see if I could handle the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And then if I could, they would admit me in my sophomore year, which would then be my freshman year. And so the math wasn't math. And, and I was like, that just, that don't make, yeah. I still have to pay for classes and none of them will count. Right. And they were like, yeah, like, no. And so I looked, um, this is when uh, Ebony used to do the college edition and they used to have all the different HBCUs in the, in the magazine. And I stumbled across John. My dad used to go down there for revival. So I was familiar with Charlotte, but I had never went to Smith. And uh, so pause, pause real quick. Cause you, you talking to me, like everybody know who your dad is, but oh, so my <laughs> dad is uh, Bishop <laughs> Kenneth Paramore. Uh, I just assumed that the last name would just ring, but I guess just in case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, talk, you talking to me, like everybody's me, like we all family and know each other, but, but her, her yeah, father, like, they, don't so know, even, they don't know. So yeah, Kenny and so, are my parents. So if I refer to my mom and dad, I am talking about Kenny and Lita Paramore. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so context is, he he pastored the largest um, African American Baptist church in Akron, Ohio, for many years, and uh, is now a pastor of the church I am the musician slash organist slash musical director at. And so, uh, shout out Bishop. He's the one. That's my guy. He's the one. Um, yeah. So he, um, I told him I wanted to go down there. So it was like my and the school counselors aren't what they used to be. Miss Majinsky, mm -hmm. if you watch this from Copley High School, thank you very much. Because she applied to all my schools for me. Gotcha. Like, I didn't even, I told her what kind of schools I was looking for. And every day I was getting acceptance letters from schools that I had never even heard of. And so I had got into schools, but it was none of the schools that I wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. And so um, we went down. I went to go visit Smith. Um, Johnson C. Smith University, I call it Smith. Um, small private HBCU in Charlotte, North Carolina. The guy who did my tour, he snuck me into somebody's dorms. So I could see what the dorms look like. The girl was telling me like what dorms to apply for, what dorms not to mm -hmm. apply for. And I was like, I love it. I don't want to leave. Now, my mom said it was one of the most ghetto experiences of her life. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, this is it. I don't ever want to yeah. go nowhere else. And so going to Smith was very interesting because then when I got to Smith, I remember one of my first classes, a guy sat in class and told me I wasn't black enough to be at Smith because I graduated from Copley. And so wow. he was like, you know, you took the spot from some inner city kid who really needed to be here. I was in class like, what? Like, I was what I went from a, um, a, a, a copy from a high school that they told me I was ghetto and I didn't belong and I did too much and I didn't fit in. So it was like to go from that establishment to go to another one and they like, you want to you don't fit in. Yeah. You don't fit in here, you know. So, but I, there's a little bit of everybody at HBCUs. Now, I used to say that there was an HBCU for everybody. Working at Purdue, I have changed my answer. Mm -hmm. I do not think HBCUs are for everybody, just like I don't think college is for everybody. Um, it's definitely a level of self that you have to be okay with to be able to adapt to uh, the differences at HBCUs. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's the most tragic experience of your life, but you really got to be kind of sure of yourself um, mm. a little bit more than you do at a PWI. I did attend a PWI for my master's. I went back to Akron U and then as I went right back to the same environment as I was in high school, which was, you know, full circle moment. Cause you know, you go yeah. back from this four year experience and everybody is family. So you going back to a class and you sit in the seat and nobody wants to sit in the road with you. So it's like that going back and forth from there um, so I ended up working back at Smith. I worked there for three and a half years as an admissions counselor. Um, had an amazing time traveling and doing that. And then when the position at Purdue happened, I'll be honest, I didn't know what Purdue was. Um, Lillian, my, one of my best friends from Copley, actually, we've been best friends since sixth grade. Um, mm -hmm. 
she was working at Purdue and was like, there's a position opening, you should apply. And I, I say all the time, God wanted me in Indiana because I was applying everywhere. And I got the call back at Purdue. So I'm supposed to be there. Yeah. So when I did the interview, it happened really fast. Um, I did the interview, my first interview at the end of May. I did my second interview in June. They offered me the position like the weekend after, it was July 7th. I never forget that day. They offered me the job on July 7th. I was in Indiana uh, August 9th for work. So like that was the timeline of like I had moved, relocated from Charlotte to Indiana. I hadn't even seen my apartment. My dad drove over, FaceTimed me, and was like, this is the apartment. You like it? Okay, we're going to take it. And like I paid the deposit and stuff because yeah. I had like three weeks to move. So coming to Indiana, you've came. You've you saw I, I got to I got to uh, see the, the bustling metropolis of Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming from Charlotte, North Carolina to Lafayette, Indiana, the first two months, every day I cried. Um not because I was sad, it was just to where am I? What is going? Because at that yeah. point, I literally, literally lived next to a cornfield. Like there was an active cornfield growing to the right of me. And I was yeah, like, yeah, I, I, like, I lived in Copley and I never lived my corn. So it's like, this is just. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up next to a cornfield, but of the five hour drive it took me to get there, four hours of it was nothing but cornfields. And soybeans. That's the other uh, export. So those corn gotcha. and soybeans. So that's all you saw is corn and yep. soy. And uh, a lot of these students, they from Indiana, especially so a lot of these white students. And that's all they know. Like this yeah. is the brothers they've ever been from home. They've never lived out, out of the state. I took um, my first year working at Purdue, I took some students to Cincinnati to the National Underground Real World Freedom mm-hmm. Center. And one of the students was like, thank you so much. This is my first time out of Indiana. I had a ball. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, cause you know, you just don't think like this is your, cause he was, I mean, he was dressed up. He was short. He had to put on mm-hmm. his good clothes. But that was cause that was his first time out of town. And so he wanted wow. to do his best. And so that was like, that really changed equity for me. And that's when I really started looking at the position a little bit different and looking at, um, what they wanted to do at Purdue and, and things of that nature. Cause when they heard HBCU, like the little bills clicked on, like, cause we want to make our, the BSU, I advised the black student union on campus. Like we want to make it our own little HBCU. Well, hold the phone. Cause that's not what it's, yeah. it won't be that. Yeah. But it won't be is make it the best black student or union in all right. But we ain't gonna make it an right. HBCU cause that's not what it is. And it's more than just parties and events. A HBCU that's in, is put into the foundation, the yeah. Of the, you know, so it, it's it's different for y'all, you know. So once we got them to understand that, we was we okay now. But them first yeah. two, they they didn't understand. Like I don't understand why we can't make this an HBCU, and so I had to explain to them that it never. Now we can go visit the HBCU, so you can yeah. see the difference between what the BSU is and what uh, what an actual HBCU. Because a lot of them ain't even ever visited one. It wasn't an option, you know. Mm-hmm. The schools they was looking for state schools it ain't a hbcu in indiana so we didn't go to one and right. so for a lot of students that's how that's how they decide they school you know what's in state who got the cheapest tuition that's where i'm going and so mm-hmm. those who do not have the resources or the opportunities to may go to attend the hbcu or go travel to go visit schools outside of their state like now with social media being what it is and virtual tours COVID was the best, worst thing to happen to education because mm. it provided avenues for people to be able to go on campus without physically being on campus with virtual tours and things of that nature. So take advantage of those things because that's your way of trying to see whether or not you can be a good fit. Because I went, even though I went to an out-of-state school, it was a private school, so I didn't have out-of-state tuition. So that's when I hear like, oh, it's too expensive to go to HBCU. No, you can find one that works. You just got to do the work to find one that work. Um, and that also is an era of alum because I don't feel like that's why every time I do something like this, I try to wear something with Jasmine C. Smith on it um, because I need to make sure I promote it 
as well. The reason why people know about Howard is because everybody that graduated from Howard tell you that they graduated mm-hmm. from Howard. So it's yeah. like, if I don't tell you I graduated from here, how do you know? How, how will yeah. I be promoted? So I, I'm not I'm not gonna bust your bubble. I don't know if this one's gonna be uh shown uh if we just gonna be online or audio with this one because I'm on vacation and I'm looking crazy. So, <laughs> I'm just gonna um, keep saying Johnson C. Smith. It's the next cool. Just keep it's saying. Cool. It's yeah, this what this one might be audio audio only. I, I'm not television prepared today. It's so. okay as long as they hear Johnson C. Smith. That's all yep. they got. They go Google it. I'm just gonna yep. keep saying yep. it until they say, well, "Well, shoot, let me go look for it myself." No, I, I appreciate that though because I th- this is definitely the first time that we've had any discussion about HBCUs. Um, on this platform. So that that's, that is definitely a great um, foundation for our listeners to go um, Google and, <clears throat> and learn more about um, why they are important, why they need to exist and all that. So I definitely appreciate um, keeping saying Johnson C. Smith and, and the others, Howard Clark, Feldman, Morehouse, and, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's, let's shift gears into Monday and Tuesday. Um, so we, we had the, the privilege to bring Dear White Teacher to to a classroom on, on the um, campus of Purdue. We had about 20 teachers, um, 20 teachers, um, K through 12 uh, staff that worked in education at Purdue um, and, and some others. And so it, it was, uh, for me, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, one of the things I, I enjoy about um, those types of discussions and, and being allowed to somewhat present is it's is really not me presenting um, as far as a lecture or um, me just standing in front of a room talking and they just leave. Um, I, what I love about it is I'm able to faci- facilitate discussions. I, I, I feel like I probably did the least talking of everybody in the room, um, but providing a, a, a platform for people to really start thinking and peeling layers off of what teaching black and brown students is like. So um, talk about what you what you got from it, the feedback you got, um, what, what you saw from um, the participants, and even in some of their thinking and comments and things like that. So this, it'll be year three starts in August that I've been at mm-hmm. Purdue. And okay. so I've almost been, at, I've been there for three years. The first year, it's like the evolution of uh, being there. The first year I was there, I was appalled at wow. how out of touch a lot of people were mm-hmm. with um, Black issues. And then, so this is like 2021, so it's a year after George Floyd. And it was still, when I got there, that was going to be the first semester where everybody was going to be back on campus after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was still masked and still, you know, still a lot of different things. And so I was in the third largest apartment on campus and I was the um, assistant director of diversity and retention. And in that position, um, when I saw the students who needed to be retained, most of them were black and brown. And so they may also made up the smallest percentage people in the building and so I was also very concerned that why isn't you know why are they on this list and so when I actually had to start having conversations with them you know yes it was a COVID year but they're like you're the first person I actually ever talked to so like that whole their whole freshman year was all virtual or um, they didn't have a lot of zoom meetings or anything like that it was a lot of emails and things of that nature and so even virtually, they kind of felt out of touch. They didn't, you know, have, it wasn't a lot of touch points on them. It was like, after they got in, it was like they got in and after that, they kind of got lost in, in the sauce a little bit. And so for those sophomores, a lot of them felt like, how do I fit in? A lot of the juniors, because their freshman year got cut short. So they just, mm-hmm. it was just weird, a lot of weird energy. And so I, I, I watched, I took on the Black Student Union my first year too. And so when I was asking them, like, okay, well, what stuff are we doing? Well, we don't really do that. Well, how about we do, like, a program to try to get people to come out? Well, ain't nobody going to come. And so I'm like, y'all not even, like, meet me halfway. Like, let mm-hmm. me let me try to see what, what we can do. And they was very adamant about, like, that's not what we do here. The Greeks are the Greeks. 
the black kids that smart stay together and then the other kids that's in between they just kind of like you know figure it out and so that kind of gave me the foundation to kind of like what I wanted to do while I was there um because it made me sad and it was like they was really just kind of struggling across the board mm-hmm. when as it came for like black students on the campus and so um my second year I ended up getting hired into the college of education and with that transition it was I got like a little I did it in a year so that was a it put me on a radar for some people to start putting me on task force and things of that nature mm-hmm. because she must be doing something right if she got promoted within a year and so that allowed me to kind of have more conversation um, at the time Purdue has a high school um, in Indianapolis and uh, Purdue Polytechnic High School the students, um, it is more of a um, lab style, learn as you go kind of model. Um, And so it's okay for them in high school, but then the expectation is that they kind of Purdue and that's not the curriculum at Purdue. And so when they get there, they struggle. And so they have a summer program. And so I had a young man my first year who was on my retention list and Brandon, I swear to you not, his starting GPA for the fall semester was a 0.79. Ooh. And so he was there all summer. The whole point for you to be there all summer is so that you can make your GPA for the fall so you can have a little cushion. And so I had to explain to him that he opened up a bank account with negative money. And mm-hmm. how it's going to be hard for you to try to put some money in here because you are right. negative. So he... Um, they did. That's what I, I had. I showed my color a little bit. That's when they realized I was a little bit crazy because he wasn't answering my emails, and so I got all their schedules. And so he he had class at the airport. Um, Purdue does have an airport, and so he had a class at the airport. And so I just pulled up to the airport waiting for him to get out of class because I knew for one thing it was only going to be one black man that was going to walk out of that building because there ain't a whole bunch of people in there. Right. <laughs> and so when he came out, I'm just going to say his name was Kenny. I get rolled down the window. Kenny! He turned around. I still had my scar. I was laying my edges down. I still had my scarf on. I, <laughs> I forgot. And so he came walking to the car. He was like, um, are you Miss Brittany? Yes, I am. And where have you been? I've been emailing you. But he never missed another meeting. Mm. And so now by the end of the semester, we did get his GPA up to like a, well, cumulative GPAs is hard to bring back up. But we got his, his semester GPA was like a 2.3. Okay. I was so proud of that 2.3. I didn't know what to do with myself. Right. Because he started with a 0.79. Yeah. And so when they were talking about, well, he's still on academic probation, but he started with a 0.79 and he has a 2.3. That's mm-hmm. something to celebrate because y'all had yeah. him on billboards and y'all had him uh, walking out on the halftime for the football games, the basketball games, and talking about how he was a PPHS student, but he had a 0.79 the whole time and nobody said anything about that. But when he gets wow. up to 2.3, now it was problematic because he's still on probation. So it's like, I, I that's when I started to kind of look at things differently um, a little bit. Um, that year, th- they did uh, student promos for three different students. Two of the three students that they ran promos on for them transferring, these were national syndicated promos that they did. Two of the three were academic probation the whole time they aired. Wow. Um, yeah. So. So 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 we'll use you for for promotion, but we won't support you personally. And so that was my issue. Um, after I got in a little bit, and I knew they weren't gonna get rid of me. That's when I start trying to challenge them <laughs> because how how do you sleep? How do you feel comfortable knowing that you are using this person as the base of this program? Yeah. And you know they're not gonna be here next semester because y'all gonna academically dismiss them. Mm-hmm. And you'll use their likeness all year. Yeah. But you want to make sure they have a tutor all year either. So mm. I started asking those kind of questions. And um, because I don't know, they didn't know this. And I hope your viewers know this. When you give our students the option to do something, they're go- their option is they're going to take the option of no, because I don't have to. You didn't make this a requirement. So therefore, yeah. I'm not going to do it. And so I'm like, you're bringing them to campus and you're telling them class is optional. No, they're not going to go to class. They might go maybe once or twice, 
just cause. But they're not going to go faithfully. They're not going to go. And so that's what happened. They were bringing them for the summer program and telling them that they didn't have to go to the classes. No, you tell them they have to go to the classes or they go back home. Mm-hmm. And I was there like, well, we didn't want to like put any pressure on them. What do you mean? They're in college. They right. all, all kind of pressure. And so if you don't set any type of expectation for them, how are they supposed to excel the expectation? And so those kind of conversations started shifting and we started seeing a change in the student, you know, after they came in and making them attend stuff and following up with students. So the students that I worked with my second year there, um, their grades did way better than the first group of students because they did have to go to the classes. They did have Mm -hmm. to. A lot of them started with 4.0s and 3.0s and things like that, which did help once they got into the fall and spring semester. If they had a class that didn't work well, because you already started that semester with a 4.0, you got a little bit more cushion than somebody else who started with a 4.9. And so having them kind of conversations with them um, and then really in the college of education, they really was like, we need to do some diversity stuff. So whatever you want to do to help us with our diversity, okay. And they pretty much been letting me do whatever I want to do as long as it uh, goes along with, with the strategic plan of, of the department. But it has been um, eye-opening to see um, how much people just really don't know. Yeah. Um, even when we talked last week um, or earlier this week, and the one lady was like, well, you know, when they touch your hair, it's not because they're trying to be mean. You're curious. Uh, listen, hair, hair uh, disrupted yeah, that, the whole conference. Yeah, it, it, that turned into a discussion. Back, yeah, it goes back to the point that you're so curious because I'm different than yeah. you that you feel the need to invade my privacy to touch me. Yeah. That's problematic because if they don't learn that at three, they're not going to learn it at yeah. 13. They're not going to learn it. So it's like, at what point? And then we was talking about earlier, it goes back to consent. It, everything goes back to, if I don't tell you, you have the permission to do something and you do it anyway, you're not taking advantage of me. And I've yeah. got a problem. So, so context for, for listeners is um, part of the conference, um, I do um, scenarios. And, and the scenarios that I present to who's ever there are very real. They have either happened to me or been told to me by, you know, trusted individuals. And if you go back to, I believe it's episode three, season one, it's called Don't Touch My Hair. Um, But that was one of the scenarios where um, a young man that attends a, a black young man that attends a um, majority white high school has locks and students, he he came to school with a, a new style and the white students surrounded him and began to to basically pet him and um, invade his privacy. Yeah, and, and that's what he said. He he, he told um, the teacher that he, he felt like an animal. And the, uh, the teacher, well, because it's on the episode already, go back to episode three. Um, shout out to my guy, James Talbert, um, who, who who was the teacher and was able to use it as a teachable moment. But we, we um, went through that scenario in, in, in the seminar and there were just many, many different um, opinions and, and different words that were thrown out, like consent, boundaries, uh, even ignorance. You know, one, one suggested that um, the kids did it, um, began to, to touch his hair out of ignorance. And, uh, but it, it turned into a great discussion. So, yes, I, um, I even when you, I didn't bring it up in the room because of the, the the demographics of the room, but when you even brought up, you know, the whole bonnet thing, one of my first uh, meetings with the BSU, they wanted to do a Unity Week. And I was like, okay, cool. And so to, to kick off Unity Week, they wanted to have Durag Day. Mm. And so I let them talk to me about it, and I let them play the whole thing. And then I said, y'all can't do that. And they said, what? And I was like, y'all can't do that. And it was like, I don't understand. Because now I'm in, I live in Charlotte where they originated Do-Rag Fest. Okay. It's a whole day. We bring Do-Rags. It's like a whole thing. DJ, drinks. It's a party. We bring Do-Rags. Yeah. So they're like, 
I saw that in Charlotte. You never went, never went. Not that I have an issue with it. I just never yeah. went, you know. But um, I'm like, y'all can't do it. And so they was like, why? And I'm like, the percentage of black students on campus is 2.1 or I look 2.2 percent um, out of roughly 60,000 students, mm. grad and undergrad. And so I'm like, that's less than 1% per class, like realistically. And I said, hey, it ain't enough for y'all on campus for me to be comfortable with allowing y'all to redo rags to class because mm-hmm. they're not going to see it as unity. They're going to see it as y'all being ghetto. Yeah. And so it's different if y'all had it like do rag fest in the Black Cultural Center and y'all have an event and everybody coming in and wearing their do-rag. But what you want people to do is y'all in unity where y'all do rags throughout the whole day. And then they said, but you couldn't wear bonnets. And that's where my issue was. So you go wear the do-rag, mm. but somebody wear the bonnet. That's where, that's where we draw the line. <laughs> no, 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 no bonnets. But you, you can wear the do-rag. And I was like, what's yeah. the difference? Because they both rags for your head. So yeah. what's, what's the difference? And so that was a whole debate. So they did, okay, okay, we're not going to do it. And they did understand why I said not to do it. But I'm like, I can't have the, the 900 of y'all on campus yeah, <laughs> only yeah, yeah. walking around and do rag. They'll call a SWAT and then say it's a gang on campus. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. that's what I got to look at that. Then, like, I had a student last year who wanted to do, um, they were doing a protest. Um, it was protesting somebody, the man, I can't remember his name, but he did the podcast with Trump and he's pro no affirmative action. He's an Indian man. And okay. so they was bringing him on campus. He's a conservative speaker. And she was like, I called her my little Angela Davis because anytime something happened on campus, she was ready like, take it to the streets. We got to go march. And yeah. so my issue <laughs> was, okay, if we protest them, what happens if we bring somebody of color on campus to do something and they decide to protest it? Because mm-hmm. it's only 2.1% of y'all. Yeah. It's 80% of them. And so if they decide to protest y'all event, that's going to get national coverage. Mm-hmm. They're protesting. Y'all are protesting their event. Y'all like a knack to them. All right, go ahead. We still going to have yeah. an event. <laughs> and so right. it's not that I don't want to protest. It's not that I don't feel like he should be on campus. But what do we protest? What do we not protest? Because of your organization ties, I don't want y'all to put y'all foot in your mouth, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so there was like, that everybody else understood, she ended up quitting halfway through. Like she couldn't handle the fact that we weren't, I guess, radical enough. But I also, and I had to tell them, y'all are the face of all black students on campus, not just the radical ones on campus. Mm-hmm. So like, so we gotta think, and it really is hard for me because they really don't know that deep down inside I'm a Black Panther. So they don't know that I'm really weak. You know, let's go. Let's go march. Let's go do it. But on campus and that role, I got to be neutral. And I got to be for, you know, overall their safety, number one. Yeah, yeah. And then two, how are they going to be projected on campus? That's my, I have three Ps that I follow on campus. Projection, protection, and then projection. Like, how are you projected to everybody else on campus? How are you protected on this campus? And then, oh, and how are your progress? How is your progress on campus? Um, How are you progressing on campus? And so a lot of them, once I had that conversation, you know, like they, you know, they get it, but it's, it's interesting, um, you know, at first, because they really don't understand it in the beginning and I feel bad because I don't also don't want to feel like I'm shooting them down and I don't want them to be right 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 vocal and so it's like not oh okay well we're not marching at all that's it how else can we show support and solidarity without y'all getting arrested because they calling the police because they saying y'all can't protest on campus because again my first year on being on campus I had a case with police brutality on campus with the student police mm-hmm. and the student I had to organize a, a summit and you know it was a, a, a young white student who came he braved the weathers and came out and his was that how come we just can't support the police and and, and he did that in the room full of the 2.1 percent black kids that all showed up this meeting 
And it, as soon as he said, how come we can't get the poll? He couldn't even get police all the way out of his mouth. And they had started booing him. I started seeing people balling up paper. <laughs> wait, 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 they was, wait. They, they was looking for tomatoes and all kinds of stuff. Wait, 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 wait. And so we did, you know, I, I let him speak. And they was mad that I let him speak. And I said, I'm, the reason why I'm letting him speak is because everybody got an opinion. And y'all got to learn how to listen to somebody's opinion and not let it affect you in the way that it affected you. Because just like when you go into a room, because again, y'all only 2.1%. So I'm trying yeah. to show that just because we are tolerant does not mean that we're going to let anything fly. But we also can also not have to be irate about everything that happens. You know, we got to learn how to try to balance that. And so it has been working. It's been a little stressful. But uh, <laughs> it's been... They, they they get it to an extent. They get it yeah. to because also they I also have their mind. They're still young, you know. They still very much. I want it now. This is what I want to see, and they don't understand the powers that may be that may be presenting stopping them from doing it, or you know everything goes. Yeah, it 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 all stems and sounds like um, the the same thing as we did in the session Monday and Tuesday. You have to do with them. Um, to just sit them down and say, "Hey, we, we're not chastising you for your mm -hmm. opinion, but you you have to understand um, the projection, um, how how all this is going to look. You have to understand who's watching, um, and uh, you know, like with the do rag thing. Now, the do rag thing would be cool if the fifty nine thousand white students at the at the school and staff understood why this is happening but that's going that, that's going to be a long conversation uh, for that many people um and, and so even even with some of the conversations we had this week like um uh when we talked about uh the young man that was in the fourth grade that literally is the primary caretaker in his house and, and had to explain to them the issue with the part of uh, police she said she wanted to call the police, you know, she, she said her first, her first thought, um, you know, the scenario, the scenario was this young man was coming to angry, irate, sleepy, everything. He just could not pay attention and function. And you learn, um, he's the man of the house. He, he's the man of the house. He, he's tired. He's literally going to school eight hours a day and coming home, feeding kids, changing diapers. Um, and because that's a, that's a, a, a common theme in black households that, um, don't have a father or a grown adult man in the house. Uh, the oldest boy becomes the man of the house and, and is told that. And so um, it was so many layers to pull back from that as far as um, one, just being 10, 11 years old and being told you're the man of the house to go to, and then get to school. And I have to follow, I have to follow rules, but I'm the, I'm the man at home, but I, I'm a boy at school. And it's, it's hard for a young man to turn those things off, mm -hmm. off and on. He doesn't even know to, um, but one of the uh, participants in the, in the session said, well, if I, if I find this out, my, my first th thought is to call the police. And um, sweet lady, meant, meant all well. He meant no harm. No but harm at all. That they're trained, we talked about um, uh, having, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's the word? Start with a P. Privilege having that oh, privilege yeah, yeah. is that you know you automatically assume that you know that there should be when you come home food should be ready yeah table should be clear so homework can get done and in most black homes that's not the case and so yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, this little guy was looking after five babies there there were six kids total and so. Um, Fourth, at fourth grade at the time and, and and so uh in the in the black household at times many times they can't afford daycare so guess who's watching kids you know and she asked she asked great questions she said well you know my thought would be there's no one else in the family there, there there's no one else around that could watch the kids no because they got they got their own kids to watch like you know, grandma's raising uh three kids of her own Granny is wore out. She Granny is sleep. Granny is sleep after Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune go on. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm learning, be being that I'm not um, rural Indiana. A lot of poor white people grow up the exact same, mm. and so 
they do not, their light bulb to call the police don't happen when Cindy Lou is there and she raising, you know, her siblings. Yeah. But when LaQuisha come in with her, you know, siblings, that's the red flag because this yeah. is where, and so how many, and then I, I didn't get a chance to ask that question. I didn't think about it until Tuesday night when I was sitting at home, but how many white kids fall through the cracks because they don't think they're in danger because they put all their focus and attention, hyper focus, hyper focus and attention on black and brown kids in the classroom. Yeah. And it's, it's like these white kids are having just as much terror at home and nobody, nobody give a hoot about them because they're not, yeah. you know, they don't think the part it, of what they it's, just, it's, it's just assumed that everything is mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, no, that was a great, great conversation. Um, the, the bonnet conversation stemmed from um, a conversation. Brandon's being um, anti-black. No, I was trying to. I was just trying to stimulate thinking and thought-provoking conversation. That's that's and all. There's not a there's it not on my watch. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> anti-black on but my it, watch. It, it it was a great scenario though. Black black hair is a very important uh, part of our culture, and so um, the story was the, the little girl. Hair was not done, but she came to school with a hoodie on um, and didn't want to take it off because her hair wasn't done. And she was afraid to take it off. So she wasn't being defiant to be a rule breaker um, in as much as she was trying to preserve herself because had she taken it off and the kids saw her hair, she would have been bullied. And so um, I remember one teacher brought up a safety issue and said she had went to the conference and they told her, well, kids can't wear hoodies because it's a safety issue and we can't see their faces. Um, and I suggested, well, the little girl was keeping herself safe by wearing the hoodie on top of the fact that not only did she wear the hoodie to school, but she actually showed up to school, which I thought, um, was brave on her part to even show up because she knew her hair wasn't done. She knew the possibilities. She knew the possibilities of danger, mm-hmm. but she still came to school. And one teacher suggested putting, putting her in ISS, um, and then, and it was two suggestions. One was ISS, was and the other was safety. It was a safety issue. Right, right, right. Well, she said so. She suggested one send her to ISS so she can stay stay in a safe space all day, or two send her back home. And um, we we got to unpack that um on, on a really really deep level, um, which unraveled into the bonded issue, but um. At, well, I was in a group with her, and she said that they did send us student home. Okay. That did happen in real life. They did send us student home, and the student didn't come to school for three days. And then when they came okay. back, the day here was done. And so I'm like, again, I didn't push it because we didn't yeah. have enough time. But you were you were okay when now this baby missing four days. days, three and a half days of school. Mm-hmm. Because a hair, a bonnet, yeah. Because it's like I'm at the point now where like, do I just get them a burka to put on so they can sit in class? Because you're right. not gonna ask them to take it off. So do I just tell them just put the hair wrap on for the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. We know you're not Muslim. You don't have to convert, but just so you can go ahead and sit in the class and, and, and learn and learn. Yep. So that that's where we are now in education, where we yeah. have to start having them conversations because blackness is not allowed. Because there are some classrooms where even if your braids are too long, you can't come to school. Yeah. So because yeah. you're a distraction, so we're not going to yeah. teach them to ignore whatever is coming into the classroom, but you're going to punish the punish the student. So so is it a reach? And I, I think you suggested this one is uh google we google everything what what is the stretch for a white teacher to get on google and TikTok and everything to learn the basics of uh of a black hairstyle one that is basic enough she can finish the school day you out there learning this is from TikTok anyway learn something educational learn how to put some ponytails yeah. in the baby <laughs> is. get the baby some pictures yeah. put it on the roots and brush her down that's it all about her day it, it's at the point maybe where having uh, 
we already know you're going to keep spare pencils in the room because a kid is not going to bring a pencil. Keep a comb. In my desk, I have a comb. I have a bonnet. I have a do-rag. I have edge control. I got an edge brush, deodorant, lotion, uh, pads, condoms, tampons, snacks. Just because even though I got grown babies, but they still, they still yeah. in a lot of ways, they still kids. And so, yeah. so Miss Brittany, you got $2 so I can go get me a fry. I'm starving. So I got, mm-hmm. they give us like free little meal passes. You go okay. meal pass, go to the cash. And that's their way of being able to eat or I'm sorry to bother you, but you know, do you have this or do you have this? I just got a drawer full of it because, so if anybody would also like to donate to my drawer, please let me know how Because <laughs> they do run through that drawer. But you know, yeah. just so that they can have access to stuff without feeling embarrassed. Yeah. So I don't even tell them like, you ain't even got to ask me. If you feel embarrassed and you don't want me to know, just come in and say, I need to see the drawer. I can actually go ahead and go in there and get what you need because get I need you, need you to be comfortable in your class or I need you to be comfortable with yourself. If I yeah. walk into one of my students uh, is well endowed up top. And one day she came in and I said, baby, come here. We went to the bathroom. This is what, you, what what's going on here. We got to do this. We got to do that. Thank you so much. Nobody has ever taught me how to do that before. Wow. She was 20. And so... That's what I went back to. We can't go and like her mom ain't teaching that. You don't know yeah. if she got a mom. You yeah. don't know if she has somebody that can teach her and taught her this is how you do. And you don't know if that person just because she got one don't mean that she know what to do either. Yep. So it's like had that grace with them because we don't we don't know. Well, and then one of the one of the biggest concepts I think we talked about over the two days was building trust. Now mm-hmm. that now that young lady trusts you. Um, now mm-hmm. the, those people that go in that drawer they trust you. And so when we're talking. Um, especially when I'm talking to white teachers about uh, how to build relationships, the, the the biggest thing that they have to do um, is is create that safe safe space that um, builds trust. And, and one of the other things we talked about was saying this is a safe space does not make it a safe space. Um, but you build trust um, by those things. So imagine the uh, imagine where that takes the relationship with a white teacher and a little black girl who comes to school, her hair is not done. And she's just able to say, come here real quick. And then you don't have to be in front of everybody. Let me take you to the bathroom. Let me get you straight. Um, you, 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 be in you, recess. Let, come here real quick. Yep, Let me yep. Put a little headband on, put a little water on it. That's, that's you, it. You have made her day and you have won a, you, you have won an ally in her who will now tell other students, Hey, Miss such and such, she'll get you together. She she cool. She, you know, um, and, and that that can be a great start to building relationships. Cause they do, once you build that relationship, you did uh they still start telling you too much. Um say, <laughs> yeah, hey. yeah, you gotta be ready for that. Now, <laughs> now, now, now listen. Now don't don't when you when you start building it and you get it, you you can't you can't backpedal. You can't one, backpedal. I, one of my students, uh he he's bisexual. And I, was, I didn't know he was bisexual. Like, we weren't talking about nothing, nothing of that nature. He asked if I could mm-hmm. drop him off at the Walmart because he had to go to work. He was driving down the street. And out of nowhere, he was like, hey, I was on Grindr last night. And this man said, you going to come see me today at work? I said, hey, hey, hey. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just taking you to Walmart. Not what you're doing after work with whomever you're doing it with. <laughs> he just, just spewed it out. <laughs> he was <laughs> I don't know if he felt like this is a safe place. Let me get this out. Let me get yeah. But it was just, and I, I, that is one of my favorite stories about my male students. Cause he, he yeah. mean no harm. He mean yeah. zero harm by it. Well, the fact that he even asked you to drop him off at work was already a start. He already felt safe. So he was like, Hey, since, since we on this ride, let, let's make it exciting. <laughs> what you think about this? I was like, right. hey, hold on, brother. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I did not even know. And then he said, do you know what grind? Yes, I do. I have, I have friends who have used grinder, but I do not right. want to talk about that with you in the right. crowd. Right. Um, right. So, so, so a part a part of building trust and, and establishing a relationship is also setting boundaries. Yes. 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 They also <laughs> think you're gonna be friends. Because I yep. have to tell them we're not gonna be friends. Now, when you graduate yep. after you are no longer a student here, hit me up. We can go do lunch, we go do dinner, but while you are yeah. still yeah. I'm, I'm, I am I'm. don't make them call me Miss Paramore. I make them, they can call me Miss Brittany. I tell them they call me Miss Paramore, that means they're in trouble. Now, I do have mm-hmm. some students who do, that's just, 
I'm either Miss Brittany or Miss Paramore, but yeah. a lot of them, they just call me Brittany. But it also, they have a respect for me because when they introduce me to other people and they talk, this is Miss Brittany. Now they might yeah, call yeah. me Brittany, but they make their friends call me. And I'm like, no, why you? Uh-uh, they don't know you like that. They got to call you Miss Brittany until they get to know you. So it's like they have a level of respect for me um, where they also, they listen to me. So I don't have to, um, it was an issue with the Greeks on campus. Just a, a quick conversation. Hey, hey, y- y'all can't do that. You know, we ain't doing. Yeah. And I was like, all right, okay, we respect you. That's cool. And it, it wasn't an issue no more. And so I do, because, you know, I, I tell them I'm young, but I'm still older than y'all. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't want y'all to think that there is a line that is blurred um, right. because there's, it, it, there isn't. Um, even cautious with grad students because, you know, they think a lot of my grad yeah. students are older than me. So say, you know, hey, let's go hang out. Well, no, because you still you still one of my students, yeah. even though right. you're a graduate student, you're still one of my students. And so mm-hmm. having those boundaries definitely has been tremendous. Uh Purdue is, is an interesting, interesting place, but I have learned so much for at Purdue. Um, and I am positive I can go anywhere in the world after <laughs> after leaving for my yeah, time. Yeah. Um, because they have given me so much that I can actually, you know, give and build on. Um, so it's been it's been an amazing experience. But they love. We're gonna bring you back. Uh, for, good, good. I, I want to come back. There was there was so much. It, it was so much fun because um, I was telling somebody. Um, they they asked me what was my plan. You know, for the two days. I said I, I really. I said uh, I always plan the beginning and let it go where it's going, and then I plan from there. Um, because I, I don't want it to just be about uh, I have a set curriculum and we're, we're going to talk about these things because what you start to see is people want to talk about different things and how like the, both days just everything unraveled into so many other things and some of the stuff I wanted to touch on anyway and so how the hoodie unraveled into the bonnet how um, <laughs> how a uh, little fella babysitting turned into a lesson on this is what happens in black homes because the resources the the people and the resources aren't available, and so it it, it was so it was dope. Um, so thank you uh, for having me. I look forward to coming back, and it was a pleasure meeting um, everybody and hearing their uh, opinions and experiences. And so I learned a lot as well, um, and that that's why I enjoy doing what I do because I, I get to learn um, others' experiences and just talking talking with people and, and being able to share enlightenment is really an amazing ex- experience. So I appreciate it. I think the the older uh, white lady who's retired who retired and like she just came back to get a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I was just so happy that there were you know black people in here because I just didn't yeah. want to be. That was probably the best statement of the whole. Yeah. It was hilarious. Um, no, that that created a great battle. And yeah. being older from a different generation and yeah. you know just trying to, I appreciate the fact that she's trying to learn. You know, that yeah. she's trying to figure out because, you know, she almost did the fourth quarter. She ain't really got to yeah, yeah. learn nothing no, new she you know. And we, her and I talked privately as well. And so we, we talked about some other things that, that she's doing and participating yeah. participating in. And so she was uh, very, uh, very glad to be there and um, share with me all the other stuff she does. So, yes, yeah, very cool. Everybody was very, very cool. So, I, yeah. I, I'm glad. Uh, so yeah, we, we'll wrap this up. Um, what we do at the end, share share a word of wisdom, uh, you know, whatever it is, and then tell the people how to reach you. Um, if you're on social media, if you want to, if you don't, if you don't want nobody reaching you, then yeah, you don't have to say that. No, I'm playing. Right. right. <laughs> um, I do do um, talk about um, for students who may have trouble trying to get into college. I'm still very well connected um, within um, the HBCU world, so I do have an educational consultant agency, Bet on Black. Um, so if you have any questions or if you want to learn more about HBCUs and the route to um, go to attend the HBCU, please let me know. My social on Instagram is BB, my last name, Paramore. That's it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah that's my, that's all my socials. Um, yeah, uh, so even about the, the uh, educational consulting agency, let me uh, encourage uh, teachers to even get with you to, to uh, use you as a resource for their students 
or as a resource for themselves so that they can learn more about HBCUs if they don't know. Um, so I, I highly encourage you to get in contact with Brittany and uh, learn about what HBCUs offer, why they are important, um, how they explore. It's a hundred right. of them. So you got right. a whole bunch to choose from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Expose your students. Um, and there are white students that attend HBCUs. So that's, the, that's a, white a real HBCU. thing. West oh, Virginia well. State University is 80% white. See, we all learning together. <laughs> this is what this is why I'm here. This is why I love doing what I do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, another episode in the Raps Gear White Teacher. Make sure you get to the website, see what's all uh, available. Grab the course, uh, grab the books, uh, the book. I said books with an S because it might be another book on the way. So yeah. Come on, the editor. Uh, awesome. Hey, hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Instagram, uh, dear underscore white underscore teacher. Got a lot of stuff, great stuff happening. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm on vacation. I'm, it's, uh, it's 1130 in the morning and it's 92 degrees already in sunny Cancun, Mexico. So, you got to uh, live right, Brandon. You got to live yeah. right. Uh, yeah yeah it's, it's too hot to live wrong <laughs> so you i don't have a choice it's blazing outside so yeah i, I want to stop and, and get this done because I, I i really take breaks i'm always working so uh yeah dear white teacher love y'all thank you thank you Britt. thank you i'll right, see you later all right bye. peace